going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Officer, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Hello, my faithful audience that I love so much. Uh, This episode is probably one of my favorite that I've recorded so far. I had the opportunity to interview a woman who escaped from Bulgaria during the age of communism to the United Kingdom, where she then later came to the United States and served in the United States Navy Reserves. And it was a really cool episode to learn, you know, what she escaped from, from the perspective of of a communist country and now she's seeing many of the undertones and the beginnings of what happened when you know she was in Bulgaria and it's it's amazing to me how many people you know they carry that communist flag they wear that shirt with Che Guevara and they don't really understand what they're asking for you you want to stand in the United States the freest country in the entire world and talk about how oppressed you are and how horrible it is. And hundreds of thousands of people would pay, give you a plane ticket to any country that is run by communism and let you live there because you want that so bad. But for some reason, nobody ever really actually wants to leave. They just stay here. Um, And they want to bring upon this country all of the failings of so many other countries that have implemented this type of system. So... I personally enjoy the freedoms that we have. Uh, Like my uh, intro says, I love the Constitution more than I like most people. That's not a lie. That's the truth. I like free speech. I like my guns. I like for the government to not be able to look into my life without having probable cause to do so. And, uh, you know, it's alarming to me to talk to somebody who escaped a communist country And she's telling me, well, this is exactly how it started in our country. So I think it's really important to pay attention to the people who have been there, the people who have have experienced that. I encourage you, seek out those individuals. Go into um, a community that, you know, has Vietnamese citizens or citizens from Cuba and, and have a conversation with somebody who has escaped communism and come to this country and understand what they believe um, to be freedom and and what that means to them. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to intro into this next episode with Milena, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. Milena, I'd like to start, if it's okay with you, um, I want to introduce you just a little bit to the audience. So you are a Bulgarian immigrant who first immigrated to uh, the United Kingdom, and then you went from there and came here to the United States, and you served as an active active duty member of our United States Navy. Is that correct? I was not active. I was in the reserves. The reserves. Okay. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit first. Let's start at the beginning. So let's start okay. with your childhood. If I understand, I, I did a little bit of research after our conversation yesterday. Bulgaria became a communist country during World War II or towards the end of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they started to identify that um, the Germans were going to lose and 
the allies were starting to say, you know, we're going to punish anybody that sympathizes with Adolf Hitler. So is that kind of how that worked? Well, kind of, it was kind of forced, uh, basically okay. by the Soviet Union. Um, what happened was Bulgaria kind of went with Germany in the beginning because otherwise they would just have like completely obliterated the country. They wanted a uh, passage to, uh, to Turkey. Uh, so Bulgaria just said, fine, we'll, we'll sign a pact with you, you know, so at least it's going to be somewhat peaceful and, you know, we'll kind of cooperate. And that was in um, 1941. And then 1944 is when the Soviet Union invaded Bulgaria and um, pretty much uh, uh, overtook the government. Okay. And uh, it was a communist coup and that's how the communism was established in Bulgaria. Okay. September so talk about what that looked like for Bulgaria. Were you guys really more of a free society before that? It Were there was, elements of communism? What did that look okay. like before? So then? basically what happened, I have to go back a, a few centuries. We were actually um, kind of um, enslaved by the Ottoman Empire for 500 years. Okay. Until the end of the 19th century. And then after that time, it was a monarchy. So it was um, a monarchy, and there was a king that was sent to, um, out to exile when the communism took over. Okay. Um, it's like the king and his young son, well, they were exiled overseas. And he actually came back, you know, after communism collapsed in the 90s. So Is yeah, that so, Simeon II? Is that the one yes, that... Yes, mm-hmm. Okay, okay, Simeon, I'm with you. Yes. <laughs> so that's what it was. It, Bulgaria has a very... Um, old, I mean, very long history. Uh, it used to be like this great country back in like, I don't know, um, 8th, 9th century, you know, beginning the 10th, and then it fell under Ottoman rule in um, 1396. Well, based on, I mean, based on the research that I did just in that limited amount of time, it seems yeah. like a very rich history country. Yeah. Like you guys have a, yes, a very, beautiful, very... long history and story. Unfortunately, I think sometimes Americans are really, really bad at being so ethnocentric with our specific area. I don't think anybody could, if I said point Bulgaria out on a map, I don't think anybody would be able to do that. And that's disappointing for all of those Eastern European countries because I've traveled extensively in Europe, Eastern and Western European, and it's some of the most beautiful areas in the world. But... I feel like everything is just grouped in with Russia. You guys are yes, it's just it's just part of it. It was. It was until the um, early 90s. Uh, it was 1990s. like 1990, right? It was like the Eastern Bloc, yes. It was like the Eastern Bloc was completely, like, isolated from the West, you know. And it wasn't just – it was actually physically, like, we could not leave the country unless you received the special permission from the party. Wow. Um, my mom was the only one who left um, to East Germany on a school trip. She was a teacher. But, yeah, she had to have permission to leave the country. It wow. was like that. That It was like we, we didn't have to pass. I mean, I had not, no pass. And what did that process look like? Was that a long process to get that permission? Did they? Was it I extensive? Do you know? I can't remember. Um, but I I can't remember because I wasn't, you know. Uh, right, you were young. I remember. Uh, but I do remember it was a big deal. It was like so such a big deal because very few people made it out. Right. Uh, once you came back with presents and stuff, it was it was like the whole neighborhood was celebrating. It was yes, that's. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the the Eastern Bloc was very isolated until you know for for like fifty years. Wow. Um, Forty five. Yeah. Um, 
like 45 years. It, it, it was isolated. It was like, and it was under pretty much Soviet control. I mean, we we were we are an independent country, what an independent country, but it was very much under Soviet control. It was like the main trade, you know, was done right. with the Soviet Union. Um, yeah. So. So do you see? Hold on. So like when we're talking about the annexation of Crimea and. I would even say, although Ukraine is independent, I feel like it's still very much mm. under the thumb of Russia. Do you feel like Bulgaria is in kind of that position where Russia could see that as, as a place for them to, you know, reassert themselves and, and <sighs> regain control now that, you know, they're starting to try to do that kind of stuff or no? I don't think so. Um Okay. I, although I, I do have certain people, uh, kind of um, Russia sympathizers in Bulgaria, mm-hmm. as you know what I mean. Yeah. They're kind of like yeah, but I I don't think so because most people in Bulgaria know what it was. Uh, remember, sure. They still remember what it was. Although the you know the younger people now are kind of like acting like the left here. Yeah. Which is so very. It's like <laughs> scary. Parents or grandparents to like you know tell you the truth you need right to, you know or you read a up. book like just <laughs> yes something besides um, a, a marxist document or a leninist yeah, document but, but um, bulgaria has um tried really hard to uh become part of the european union which they did in 2007 so i don't think that will you know they depend on funds from the european union it's a very um a very important relationship for the country right so i don't think it will you know there, there is a concern like that there, um, but okay. I am not really, um, I'm not really into the politics there. I was never into politics sure. up until three months ago. I, I hated politics. I've never, well, I voted one time by absentee ballot in 2008. Are you going to vote this year? Yes. <laughs> I, I actually had to go and get myself a driver's license because we had moved here two years ago, but I still haven't changed my driver's license from the previous state. Right. My husband was active duty Navy. He retired. Okay. So he was going to um, college to get his MBA. And um, uh, that's one of the perks uh, when you were um, married to an active duty member of the military. You didn't yeah, have you just use your military ID. You didn't have to yeah. use your... So yeah. I've been waiting because I didn't know if we were going to stay in Indiana, but I'm like, I need to get registered to vote. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. This is, as I mean, I actually truly believe this uh, election is extremely important. It's like, yeah. So, as I said, I started waking up to politics three months ago. So talk yeah. to me a little bit about your transition from Bulgaria to okay. the United Kingdom. How did that transition so take happened? place? Okay. Um, okay. My father, I have to start, my father was, um, uh, used to be a police officer. Uh, okay. He was a, um, during communism. So he okay. was kind of part of the, you know, the problem. We were kind of better off than, yeah, we're better off than regular people, kind of. Sure. You, you see what I mean? Because I do. No, I do. I understand. Like a small percentage that's like the top. And when you have connections to them, then you can get everything done. Yeah. Corruption was, you know, everywhere, right? So he was, but then he started talking to this um, Free Europe radio station, which is basically trying to um, kind of connect people from the Eastern Bloc to the West and kind of like, you know, liberate them, you know? Yes. 
and he 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 was very um, outspoken um, about uh, you know the pitfalls of communism, like he was against it, he was for democracy, and basically word, it, it, it became public that he was involved in that. And then he started wow. to you know, target, yeah. Well, also I have to put this into context, context as well. His father, my grandfather, was one time a mayor in the, in the town we were we were living in. So he was actually at one point a very important party member. Wow. So to think that his son it was, was really going, you know, for me then. Yes. Yes. So um, so yes, he started receiving threats. Um, started our family started receiving threats of the the, the kind that you know they were trying to hide from me and my brother, you know. Sure. We were kids, but we were we overheard them. So it was kind of horrific kind of stuff. Um but what happened was uh he uh it was he was um seeking political asylum in the UK. So that's how we got out. That's another thing I don't want to get too too much into that because that was a whole long winded process that was really uh harrowing i I would imagine it is i i mean i've read obviously many stories of of people trying to def- defect and, yeah. and find political asylum in other countries yeah. in other situations not so much bulgaria your story is unique to me but i i can imagine how difficult that was not just not just for your parents but for them to be able to to keep you and your brother safe and get all of you out. You know, it's different if you're just one person leaving. If you're an entire family, I'm sure that was very difficult for you guys. Uh, yeah, we couldn't do it all together. So, yes. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah. Um, but so that's how that happened. And then, of course, we had to go through all kinds of problems in the UK where uh, we were pretty much warned that would be deported every month for like about five years. So by the, U- find the UK government by the UK, or yeah, by the UK government. Because they were they denied our application. Because it takes, you know, they have to process it, it takes a couple of years and then they start denying and you just have to keep um uh, Did you guys have to hide a lot? Did you have to move no, a lot? You, no, the thing is you couldn't because my father had to actually Every week he had to go to a police station, designated police station in London to sign that he was still there and he was still reachable. Yes. And every time he went, my mother would always worry that they would pick him up and just deport him. Right. And that continued for for a few years um, until uh, uh, Bulgaria entered the uh, European Union and then it was fine. You know, all (laughs) that just went away. Now we're just going to let you stay. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, but yeah, it went on for a long time. For you know, years like that. Um, How yeah. did you end up in the United States from the United? Well, States? did you meet your husband? How did yeah. that happen? Okay, yeah. he was stationed in um, the UK. Okay, so that's, I figured that's that was the case, but so, I thought I would let you tell me that rather than assume yeah. that. Um, with that being said, let's talk now. You said you've only in the last few months really gotten involved in politics here in the. U- How long have you been in the United States? Were you here in 2015? Oh yeah, I've been here 17 years. Okay, uh, I wasn't sure. I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to assume, but you just started getting involved. Tell me a little bit about what sparked you to start okay. really paying attention. Okay, so this is what happened. I uh, I graduated from my bachelor's 
a degree in May, so I was all like trying to get it done. And well, congratulations. Thank you. I was doing like a lot of classes all at once and it was legal study. So I actually uh, had applied to law schools to study in the fall. I had acceptances to like nine schools, but I decided to put it off till next year because I have heart disease as well on, on top of everything. So I didn't want to, you know, with the virus stuff. Sure. I am, you know, one of the few people that would be affected by the virus. Risk, so, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so anyway, so and I actually went to law school in the UK as well, but didn't okay. transfer. So anyway, so yeah, I just finished that in uh, mid-May. And then, you know, what, what happened at the end of May and everything just erupted and all the riots and everything. And then I was right. looking at that and I started looking and I started looking at the fact that people were not, were not held accountable. And to me, for someone who's actually studied law for, I don't know, four years in England and like legal studies here, which is pretty much, you know, same kind of thing. Sure. And I was like, this is not right. Why are they not charging this? Why are they, why are the mayors not doing anything? Why are they actually letting people burn the city down? Yeah. And ever since then, I started like following everything that's been going on all over the different, in you know, all over the country. And then, you know, that kind of led me to, you know, go to, um, researchers like, what's going on? Who are these mayors? What is the, you know, what is their policies? Why, why are they doing this? And then, of course, you know, election year. And then right. I, and then I started doing all the other things like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, um, and then, yeah, I actually saw what well, the thing that started really um, kind of like alarmed me was that, you know, during a BLM protest or whatever, you know, demonstration, the, the, there was a video of people saying, we want to dismantle the whole system, we want communism. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Are these people for real? Yeah. I was like, they, they can't be, they, they surely don't actually mean that. Um, so that's what actually started me. And then... Yeah, I started researching the BLM, the organization and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it just kind of like from there, it just went and I haven't stopped, you know. Right. So let's talk a little bit about some of those parallels when they talk about. Yeah. Well, let's start first. You you mentioned at the beginning that you started seeing like the lawlessness, the mm-hmm. the fact that you could burn down buildings, you could literally throw objects at police officers you you're only the only reason you get arrested is if you're out of compliance with the um the curfew so now we've decided okay you've thrown enough stuff at us it's time for you to go home oh you don't go home now we're going to arrest you and i think that part of the problem i mean if i'm a police officer in the united states which i can't i'm i'm not but i'm to the point now where what what point does it serve why do i arrest you if the DA is going to let you out with no oh, bail yes. in five minutes or, yes. you know, at in some so, point, um, sorry, there needs on. to be a reckoning as far as I'm concerned yes. when it comes to. So talk to me a little bit about those parallels. How did it start in, in Bulgaria when communism started? Were they doing things like this? Were they rioting? Were they? Um, no. Well, back, obviously, I wasn't born then, but um, I wasn't alive then. Sorry. Uh, but um, it was pretty much apparently any dissent and any dissenting um, anyone who dis- who disagreed with them were rounded up and imprisoned. Um, so I don't know if that 
it wasn't the rioting that actually um, set my alarms going off. It's basically the intolerance of any view that opposes the acceptable narrative, as it were, right now. Right. Um, you know, the fact that people are attacked for saying, you know, something that's not agreeable to whoever is listening, or the fact right. that I saw videos of people crowding around people in restaurants with their fists up and making them actually, you know, raise their fists up and saying BLM or whatever they was, you know, forcing their views on other people. Right. If you don't conform, you're, you know, attacked, canceled, yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. So do you think that the Democratic Party has a responsibility to put this in check? Because if, I, I mean, if I'm being completely honest i really don't believe they won't say no we don't support antifa or no we don't support black lives matter because they see that as their voting block they see that as people that could potentially be on their side because they certainly aren't on donald trump's side um but yes i think that i don't think that they truly want communism because well maybe they do like you know Maybe they, maybe I'm completely wrong about that, but I I feel like it's gotten so far out of hand now. Now they're trying to dial it back. They're coming out mm-hmm. and denouncing the violence, mm-hmm. and and it's kind of like, why weren't you doing this? No, in, yeah, in May and June, why weren't you saying, oh, because you saw the poll numbers look bad for you now? So no, what do you were think this? Encouraging- I'm sorry. Go on. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. They were they were encouraging. I I saw a video today. There's and it's really funny. These little rogue media guys, like they're not even, they're just like secret guys out on the internet that are creating these videos that are compiling all of this evidence yeah. that says, you know, I saw a video today. I actually put it. I put it on my Facebook page. I don't know if I shared it on Twitter or not, but I it was a gentleman who had created a. a side by side and it was like Kamala came out and said they're not going to stop it was Ayanna Presley coming out and saying you know Mm -hmm. there needs to be more unrest Maxine Waters Mm -hmm. Nancy Pelosi Mm -hmm. and and that's all they're doing is inciting violence like encouraging people to hurt anyone who doesn't agree with them so I in fact that you just mentioned Pelosi when she said you need to basically the Republicans are the enemy of the state yeah. He was basing, basically encouraging violence against the opposition party. You know, which to me means that she doesn't think that half the country or more than half the country deserves to live in this. I mean, it's like, what if she thinks about regular people who are Republicans? Right. Would she, would she approve of them being what? Put in concentration camps because of the beliefs? You know, it's like all this thing. I know it sounds extreme, but that's the kind of thing that, you know. It is an extreme, though. Like, you have people declaratively saying that they want to either murder all Trump supporters, yeah. that they want to um, put them in concentration camps, that they anybody who doesn't believe what they believe is a racist. You know, yeah. it's their, their, the quote-unquote basket of deplorables comment has just mm-hmm. been magnified ever since Hillary Clinton said that in 2016. Yeah. It's just gotten worse and worse. And, I mean, there are so many things that I don't necessarily agree with the the way that Donald Trump goes about, you know, his Twitter feed, his, you know, his his language. He is abrasive. But, Um, yeah, because he's not a politician. 
Exactly. He doesn't exactly. like a politician. Um, so, I mean, like, that's what I'd like to me. I see beyond the person. I want to see what they stand for, what policies they've done, what they've done for the country, what they plan to do, what they've done so far. The fact that he started building, building the wall, that's one of the biggest things for me. I am so against illegal immigration. I am so against open borders. It's, um, I don't know, um, I've been following the um, um, Customs and Border Patrol on Twitter, so they always, like, update whenever they get, like, drug seizures, um, right. illegal immigrants. I mean, the driver's so licenses, the, all of yeah. that stuff. Yeah. They, they, they see so many, so much drug, so many um, pounds of drugs, like, every day. It's astounding. I never knew that, you know, all, if there was no actual, you know, the border wall, if there was no, if we, the borders weren't strong, if the people were not, you know, patrolling, all those drugs would end up on the streets. Yeah. It's like, it's it's astounding to me that anyone would would, would um, advocate for open borders. I I just don't understand. Or just the the sheer volume of humans. I have a yeah. one of my dearest dearest friends is a border patrol agent, and I talk to him you know fairly regularly, and it's constant. Like every single night, he arrests twenty and thirty people every single night coming across the border and yeah. you know it not only do we need the wall we need more resources as far as officers are concerned like it's i i agree with you wholeheartedly i think that's that's a very big step and i think that donald trump has made that a priority in his administration so yes i agree with you so yeah so yes he does speak you know uh in a way that would put off a lot of people but as i said i I'm looking at what he's done, what he proposes to do, and then I'm looking at what the other people are proposing to do, which is absolutely against everything I stand for. So right. there's no question for me, you know. Is it like, difficult for you as somebody who has lived in and experienced and escaped uh -huh. from a communist country, is it difficult for you to sit and watch unintelligent and, and uneducated and misinformed people say that Donald Trump is literally Hitler and yeah. that he's a dictator. Like, it's, I, it's, it's very, it's, it's hard for me because I consider myself educated. Like, it, it's very hard for me. So I can't imagine a legal immigrant coming into this country, escaping from what you did, and then having to listen to that from entitled people who have never had to worry a day in their life about anything. Exactly. It is absolutely laughable to me that they speak of oppression and all that when they don't know the meaning of the word. And yes, he's not, I mean, <laughs> it is laughable. It's, it's just like, he, he wants people to be able to speak freely. He wants people to, you know, be able to walk down the street wearing, I don't know, a MAGA hat and not be assaulted and killed. Right. Uh, because, you know, free speech, freedom of expression. Anyone, according to the Constitution, anyone is supposed to be able to express themselves. You know that even hate speech is protected by the Constitution. Yes. What do you think the solution is? I mean, I, I don't see. So, okay, let's take this to the next step. A lot of people, like the gentleman who was murdered in Portland, mm -hmm. his friend that was standing with him when he was shot. I don't know. Did you see that video that he had yes. out today where he was interviewed about what happened? Um, I 
I, I didn't actually watch the video. I saw it. I scrolled through, but I didn't okay. watch the video. So he, he was asked the question at the end of his interview, mm-hmm. if you could say one thing to Donald Trump right now, what would you say? And he said, send troops. Right. Well, I think personally that's what the left has been banking on this whole time. I think they have been trying yeah, to bait I believe so too. Trump into using the Insurrection mm-hmm. Act and sending troops in and and making it look like he's a dictator. Yes. They they were hoping and he treated it completely the way that he should have were a federalist country. States can do what they want themselves. Either the governor takes care of it, the mayor takes care of it, but he's not doing any sort of federalization. So I was very proud of Donald Trump for holding out as long as he has at this point and indicating the governors are asking me to send the National Guard. The governors are asking me. He's done a very, very good job of that, forcing their hand. And so my question to you is, what do you think Donald Trump can do? Do you think he just continues to let the cities burn, let them ruin their own backyards? And then if he gets reelected, then we start doing things? Because then at that point, you know, it's not like they can unelect him. Yes, I think that's I think he should um, respect the Constitution, even if it's I mean, I do believe it's hard. I mean, it's hard to sit and watch cities burn. Yes, it's true. And, and, you know, you have to feel sorry for the regular law-abiding citizens in those cities. Right. Um, and But I do believe, that, like you said, I think it was, a, it was supposed to be a trap for him by the Democrats. That's why they didn't say anything for three months. They right. just let it go and wanting him to go in like a tyrant, like they're calling him, yeah. which he never did because he's like, I need – the governors need to tell me that they they want my help. Yeah. And if they do, we'll send someone right away. But and they have repeatedly refused his help. And it's you know it's been publicly they've been open and public about it. It's like we don't want your help. We don't want yeah. Your like help. Ted Wheeler coming out with his letter this exactly weekend. That the day before. Yes. And now crazy. Like, it's Trump's fault. Uh, what? <laughs> it's. Yes, but I I think that he should, you know, um, respect the Constitution, which, as you said, it leaves uh, the law enforcement and public safety of the states up to the states, right. you know, the federal government. Um, and I think I think that's the best he could do. Um, I'm, I'm just I don't know what the actual the regular citizens, you know, for example, Portland that's been going on for over three months. I don't know what they think, what they feel, how they feel. I. I, don't I think one of the challenges in many of these cities and, and where I think Republicans are just doing a really, for lack of better terminology, a piss poor job of presenting options for people. You have many of these cities with these mayoral candidates and even the state legislatures mm. running unopposed because Republicans are like, eh, we're not going to waste our time or money in those areas. They're not going to wow. vote Republican anyway. And they're leaving them to hang out to dry. So I think that that is a huge issue that really needs to be addressed within the Republican Party, especially in those areas like um, in Minneapolis, where why why haven't we heard a Republican candidate in that area come out and say, hey, I'm going to fix this? I haven't. I haven't heard. I, I don't know. I don't live in Minnesota, and I don't live in that district. Yeah. I don't know if that's Ilhan Omar's district. I think there is one. There is, I think Lacey Johnson is his name. 
Lacey um, Johnson is running against Ilhan. I just didn't know if in that specific I, district is yeah. is hers. I don't know if I. I mean, she called for the dismantling of the police there, so I'm guessing it is, you know, part of. Yes, I, I, I have no words for that woman. I just, I, you know, I can't. I, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I have nothing nice to say about her. My mom always told me we grew up right. in the South, so it's just bless your heart. Like that's what yeah, you say um, when you just really don't um, like somebody. I, I yeah, I, I better not even try and say anything about her. Um, it's okay. But yes, the, I know he's running against her, and uh, I'm hoping. But, uh, but yes, I don't know. It's I think because people have left those kind of the, the, the Republicans have left the cities, um, and because they've been in the Democratic hole for I don't know decades now. Right. Well, I mean, I, in Baltimore, I, it makes me think about Kimberly Clasek, yeah, who's yeah, running yeah. in in Baltimore, and. That has been run by Democrats for 53 years. She's the first, like, candidate that's really genuinely got a shot at winning that area. Yeah, I hope. I'm, I am praying every night. <laughs> I really I am praying every night um, that, you know, Trump wins by a big margin. Margin, so that there's no yeah. Con- contestation. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I am in the same boat with you. I, I, I mean, I... I am a registered independent, but I, I traditionally lean – I'm more of a libertarian, really, if I'm being I, – I socially, I'm incredibly liberal. I don't care what you do in your bedroom. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> but when we start getting into things like fiscal responsibility and law and order and, and those types of things, I'm very, very far-leaning right. Like, I'm – the Constitution is the most sacred document that we have in this entire country. And if it's not preserved to the fullest extent of the language that is written on that piece of paper, then we lose everything. That is what has kept our country yeah. free and great the entire time. And the minute you start yeah. trying to mess with that is is when I start having a really big problem with you. I, I agree. And one of the things that really got me today, really worked up, is um, the Flynn case. Have you heard? Oh, gosh. Heard it? Uh, yes. I was just, uh, I, I, <laughs> I went on a rant to my husband about it earlier. It, it was just. Well, and you probably yeah. know more from a legal perspective yes, because you, you have a background in that. I, but <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. I know that the ruling came that they couldn't have mandamus or mandamus, however you say that. Is that um, correct? Yes. Well, so what does that mean exactly for him? Well, they want. <laughs> When it was in the um, uh, the lower court, um, the the prosecutors said we're dropping the charges. We don't want to prosecute. We don't want to continue with this case. Right. And at that because point, they... what the judge should be should have done is completely dismiss the case. the case. Because when there is no prosecutor, there couldn't be a case. Right. The judge took the role of a prosecutor, <laughs> which to me is. It's, I don't even know I, how that's legal. I, I, I'm sure there has to be some sort, but then he's a, an active party in the case. How exactly. does that even work? Exactly. He he asked for the review, but only a party can ask for a review. So he was a party to the case. And now they're giving the case back to him, which is absolutely, again, I I, I don't even have words to explain how I feel about this. So now he gets to decide a case yes. that he became a party in the case. Yes. 
That's insane. You see how absurd it, it sounds, right? Yeah. It's... <laughs> and, of course, he was picked by Obama, which now, today is when I understood how big the corruption goes. Right. I, it's It's like, I mean... Okay, two of the judges wrote, uh, uh, one of the judges wrote I saw opinion, the two dissented, but I didn't which get to she was very strongly, she, she was very strongly against the, uh, the majority decision, saying this judge is shown clear indication of, you know, bias. He's bias. not impartial. Yeah. You know? Right. It's like, it's so obvious that he isn't. Yet, yet eight judges agreed that the case would go back to the same judge. Do you think that there, I mean, Simi Powell is one of the greatest attorneys I've had, uh, between, is it John Pierce, is that his name? And then Lynn Wood and oh, Sidney Powell. Those are like my three favorite people in the world right now right. that are right. truly yes. fighting yes. for the Constitution. And Sidney yes. mm-hmm. Powell is phenomenal. And I'm wondering, is she going to take it to the Supreme Court? Like, is she eventually going to be like, you know what, whatever you rule, we're taking it as high as we possibly can because this should have never been here in the first place? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, or do you think like, it's going to come down to Donald Trump being like, you're pardoned, like, I'm done with this? No, it's the thing is, it needs to. this is, sets a very dangerous precedent, though. From, you know, a legal point of view, this can ha- if another judge says, oh, I'm not dismissing this charge, even though the prosecution wants to, then he can like, okay, let me ask a higher court if, you know. If I can if be a party can, and I can rule yes. on it. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It sets a precedent, which is that any judge can decide, oh, I'm not going to dismiss. I'm going to be a party and ask for a review. It's, the judge should be impartial. That's, that's. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I saw a judge. Uh, let me ask you, I'm, this is a complete total aside. Did you watch the Democratic convention at all? <laughs> just bits and pieces. I, I couldn't possibly, I couldn't stomach that, all the lies. <laughs> it was just so like, Well, I watched one of the days, I can't remember which day, but there was a judge that got on there and endorsed the Democratic Party. And yeah. I was like, how does that mm-hmm. work? You're supposed to be a judge. Like, exactly. you're supposed to be completely impartial. Yeah. But also, um, that's also important. That's another thing about um, Donald Trump being confident. Yes. Yes, you know what I was trying to say. I do. I think that it hasn't yeah. been emphasized. It was very heavily emphasized in 2016. I don't think it's been emphasized nearly enough this time because that – that one seat, because Justice Roberts has become so, mm-hmm. um, I I would argue, compromised at this point. Um, based off of what I've read and what I understand to be his situation, I think that somebody has something on him that's forcing mm-hmm. his hand in some of these decisions. Right. And we need one more, at least one more conservative yeah, judge. Because, on um, I think... I'm not even sure if um, conservative yeah. meaning constitutional. I I don't care what your political leanings are. I just want somebody who will look at the Constitution and say, okay, based on what this says here, this is legal or not legal. I just need somebody yeah. who is a constitutionalist. Yes, yes. I and uh, yeah, especially the um, case that was um, that dealt with the church in Nevada that they said that casinos could open it. Um, what was it? Fifty percent. Well, church can only not open, open at all. Fifty. Oh, or yeah. Open with only fifty people inside. But yeah. when you picture that, how big casinos are, yeah, fifty percent could mean a thousand people. 
First, yeah, you know, it's, it was absolutely an attack on the First Amendment. I mean, it was a violation of the First Amendment. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, look at all of these. You had here in, which I'm, I'm, I'm in Indiana as well, but I'm right on the river. So I work in Louisville, Kentucky, and then I live in Indiana. And in, in Louisville, the governor sent state troopers to a church where they were holding outdoor services in their cars. The people were in their vehicles and they had loudspeakers and they sent the state police to issue citations to all of these people and take their license plates so that they could force contact tracing and force them to quarantine. Yeah, that's yeah. And and disbanded them, made them leave. Like you're in your car. And now we find out, I mean, obviously over the course of the weekend, we find out that only 6% of people of all of these deaths they've been showing in their little ticker tape parade, yeah. only 6% of them actually died from COVID. The rest of yeah. them had, they had at least two comorbidities. Like it's just, it, oh man, I feel it, like that yeah. is the biggest hoax that's ever been perpetrated on Americans. It, that That's the thing though, that they, they, they made it so that the media spread the panic so far and wide in the beginning that they made it sound like if you get it, it is inevitable you're going to die, whatever your condition. Exactly. And, that, and I still see something. People still believe this on Facebook, on my Facebook. And I, oh, yeah. A, we are in South Bend, you know, Notre Dame right here. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have all the uh, students that were having parties and then the cases went up the first seven days. Right. So, um and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, they <laughs> panic in the in the comments, and people are like, but is are any are any of them hospitalized, you know? None. And no one is actually paying attention to that question. They're all like, oh my gosh, they're irresponsible. They need to be sent home. They need to be they need to be shut down. One, they actually um, had a um, they wanted to put them in uh, apartments with armed guards, okay? <laughs> so they won't leave. Yes. So like China. It's like, what in the world? Oh, but you know, man. if if the media had been actually had integrity, in you know, which most media doesn't nowadays, right. they would have said, high risk individuals, but everyone else, you know, is just like a normal flu. You know, the thing about flu, people don't understand. I guess it's anyone can die from the flu. Anyone, right? At any age, it just it happens. It death um, happens. Like it's yeah. I I would like to see the numbers for suicides and uh, yes. Uh, like I'd like to see those numbers for the last what six months that we've been yes. going through all of this. Exactly. Let's look and see what those look like because I guarantee you they are not good. Um, and all the people who've ignored health issues because they were told not to go to the hospital. Right. Exactly. I I was listening to the radio the other day and they said um. A certain hospital or a, um, a doctor's office said they've had 50% less people with um, heart issues coming to the hospital. 50%. Wow. And they're saying that's not because people are not having the heart issues, it's because they're not coming in. And I am like, wow, well, I know people are dying. People are dying because they're ignoring their health issues. Right. Because of this virus. <sighs> it's like, it's crazy. It, it really I is. I was in the same situation. 
it was in March, I think, or something. I was, I thought I was having a heart attack during the night, but I was like, I'm not going. I'm not going unless I pass out. <laughs> Back then, I was kind of, I, I did believe the, the panic of the media. Right. And I was all for the lockdown. Well, and I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still respect the virus. Yes, I respect that I've if you a- are a high risk individual, yes. this is not something for you to get. Yes. I but if you are a healthy, that it's, you really probably should not be wearing a mask and go outside and do what you need to do. <laughs> yes. I mean, I've been in the house pretty much for six months now because I understand I have at high risk. Sure. I absolutely understand this. But, you know, and I was okay with the lockdown for two weeks, right? <laughs> for two weeks. I was okay. Two weeks. I was all about that. But then once the hydroxychloroquine thing happened, and I started researching because I do research medical stuff right. as well, and I've seen so, this, so many studies showing that it works, and it's being ignored here. Well, and that's the thing. Here's what's interesting about that. What I've noticed in the research that I've done, I'm I'm working on a whole separate thing on COVID, but it's, you know, doing the research for something like that takes a long time. But what I have seen, the media does a really good job of discrediting hydroxychloroquine by studies that used hydroxychloroquine only. They don't Mm -hmm. cite or reference or point to any of the studies that used hydroxychloroquine coupled with zinc and azithromycin or, you know, one of the Z-packs, yep. whatever. They don't, yep. those are the studies that show vast majority. Like, there was a doctor that I talked to. She has a 100% survival rate from COVID-positive patients who started taking the medication within the first four days of diagnosis. Yes, it's the same for any viral, viral infection. You need to start taking it, you know, early right. on. And, and yes, and the studies that they used also used very high uh, doses of uh, hydroxychloroquine, which can be toxic. Correct. Which healthcare providers know because that's my own, and she's like, I am appalled at the politicizing of this virus and the politicizing of a drug that's been safe for 65 years. Right. We don't know the side effect. We don't know what to look for. Why are they telling us how to do our job. Right. It was like, I don't understand this. <laughs> yeah, I, so. I personally, it's been really difficult. And I think the media has become, I have stronger feelings, I think, even than you do, but the media has become nothing but propaganda at this point. Yes. They'll lace oh, in absolutely. every now and then just a little bit of truth to get you hooked. But for the most part, there is absolutely very little that they say that is factual or accurate. It is all designed to to elicit an emotional response it is all for ratings it is all for feelings it's no longer about fact yes in fact i realized this i used to watch cnn before you know three months ago and then i started looking at independent um journalists that actually live in places that were things were happening and then i go on on cnn i'm like wait a minute that's not what happened right what is this and it's like I realize they're so biased and they actually don't give the facts. But also this reminded me that the fact that the media is suppressing information is same thing on the communism. Was, right. Um, That's what I was going to ask anything you. Anything like you like, look at the, state propaganda media in China, yeah, Russia, yeah. all of those countries, it's the same thing. They control the narrative. Yes. 
and you know it, it basically suppresses anything that's against their narrative right anything is just suppressed or not or or twisted to fit their narrative that's what they're well, doing I, right now any country that has tried to rule over their people with communism uh, socialism any of that kind of stuff they start with the media that's where it starts because that's where they get their mass you think like i literally feel like sometimes when i watch the news versus like what what i know to be true i've seen videos with my own eyes and then i hear the words that come out of talking heads mouths mm-hmm. i sit there and i think to myself i'm like joseph gables would be proud of all of you like he would he would literally give you an award. They sh- there yes. should be an award for propaganda because y'all would get it. Yes, and they but, call Trump the fascist. Right. <laughs> it's it's just, exactly though. They they accuse you know their opponents what they themselves are doing. Are it's guilty exactly of doing yes. You're yes. right. You're one hundred percent correct. Well, I won't keep you any longer. I've kept you on here for almost an hour now. So I thank you so much, Milena, for coming on with me. I really appreciate it. I hope our audience takes what you have to say to heart because you have experienced what a communist country looks like and you immigrated to this country legally. And I think that you obviously wouldn't come here if you wanted to be in the same situation you were in before. So I think a lot of people need to understand that and and start looking at other avenues for their information. Yes. Thank you so much, love. You take care of yourself. I will be in touch. Obviously, we'll talk other times but thank you so much for today okay bye all right bye bye thank you so much for taking the time to listen i hope you enjoyed this episode if you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up please subscribe we are available on spotify itunes iHeartRadio, google Podcasts, wherever you listen please make it a great day in america this is the country where few people leave too many people want to enter and dead people still vote take care I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death.